0: And gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Yo yo yo, you're listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. My name is David Hockney, and we are here to represent with a brand new feature show. Now, in case you haven't checked your calendars recently, the month of recording this show is start of June 2022 which is a very special anniversary for one particular WWE legend yes and that's going to be the subject of today's show we are talking about big match John himself Alan no sorry John Cena who's celebrating 20 years in WWE this month so what better way to celebrate one of the most iconic WWE superstars than by looking at his career in another profile show now Obviously, given the size of his career, you know, he's been with WWE for 20 years now. We've decided that because it's such a jam-packed career, we're actually going to split this across two feature shows. And we'll be looking at from his initial debut in 2002 for his first 10 years up to around the same time in 2012. So, but there's all that and more to come. So don't worry if you feel like we're missing out on the conversation here. We'll be saving it for another show. But if this is your first time listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, first of all, where the hell have you been? Uh, but it doesn't matter. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. Join us on the Facebook community page where we asked the listeners for some feedback on this John Cena show. What was their favorite match and moments? And we will reveal some of some of the responses later on. And be sure to catch our YouTube content as well, which contains everything from Quiz Showdown to the Conspiracy Theory to Book It, everything in between that you like to, to check out. It's all there. And we've also got Saturday Draft Live as well, the most important show of all, where we do our fantasy draft. But today, uh, joining me, I did somebody order a Lopez with cheese? Because I am joined by... The one of the strongest performing teams of the previous season of the draft. We have Scott McLeod and Chris Anthony Lopez, gents. Welcome.
1: <laughs> uh what an intro, and it made up for however that was. You opened the show. I mean, the only person that could sound whiter than Doctor Cena. We are the McWillpage with cheese, and Dave is a very vanilla shake that comes with it.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Word life. <laughs> <laughs> it's <just> economics.
2: <laughs> Word life. Yo, what's popping?
0: What's going on, y'all? Happy to be uh, here. Yeah, it's good to have you here. And you know what, Scott? I'm actually glad you brought me up on that because I actually even considered doing uh, battle rap style intros for you both. But then I I, had my, I got my head screwed on and decided, no, I am way, way too vanilla for that sort of thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> so if anything, if anything, disaster averted, shall we say. But we're not here to discuss how vanilla I am. We're here to talk about Big Match John Cena, and his first 10 years of WWE and how we think it's gone. So let's kick off with this feature show. So John Felix Anthony Cena was born on the 23rd of April 1977 in West Newberry, Massachusetts, where he attended Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts, and graduated in 1999 with a degree in exercise physiology. But he also was there as an NCAA Division III All-American Center on the college football team and following his graduation he ended up pursuing a career in bodybuilding uh, by moving to california if you recall the the promo that cm punk did on the the program to i think it was either summerslam or money in the bank in 2011 he actually does make a reference to this and it's uh, that's the case here but did you also know he actually worked a stint as a limo driver for a short time but the f Unfortunately, the bodybuilding didn't work out too well. And he began training as a professional wrestler under UPW or Ultimate Pro Wrestling, where he debuted his character known as the Prototype. Now, Scott, Cena's character as the Prototype would then go on to make an appearance in WWE's developmental OVW territory and stuff. And he became part of what was known as the OVW4, who graduated in or sort of seen as the class of 2002, along with Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton. And Batista, but did you ever think, in hindsight, you know, you thought, see, you see, Cena dubbed as the prototype. Like, how does it feel, looking in hindsight and seeing these four guys, you know, evolve to where they are now?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's very early, first stage Pokemon uh, for all four guys. When you look at them, they've yet to evolve into their final form, and I think Cena, as we'll go on to talk about, with the success that he's had. Like, you don't always need to come from a, a purely wrestling background, as as we've just talked about. He was mostly in, in bodybuilding and everything. And obviously, so maybe he was looking for a bodyguide, and that's why he was snapped up so quickly. Something I don't uh, think a lot of people know is that at the same time, he was training in California. I think he was in the same class before going to OBW as Samoa Joe, which is an interesting, like, t- given how different their careers would pan out. It's almost a shame that, you know, when the two were prominent features in WWE, they never got to actually properly interact. Mm.
0: Now you're quite right there. And Chris, did you know that there was um, a- another series of OVW talents, not just the OVW fourth, that you know we still recognise from the old Attitude Era days of WWE, where we had the likes of Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, even Rico Constantino, who was uh, Charlie Haas's. Uh, second partner after Shelton got drafted, but there were also the likes of Lance Cade, Trevor Murdoch, and Sean O'Hare, all in OVW. Like, what do you think it was about Cena that sort of made him stand out from quite a lot of these, shall we say, undercard talents?
2: I mean, his, his initial gimmick, right? Like, the idea of the prototype, Right? Like going back and looking at his matches and like they've even we've even seen or they've released some of his OBW stuff. And it's crazy how much charisma he had at at that age. And especially with the crop he was around, you know, Brock Lesnar, this incredible amateur wrestler, Batista, dude was huge. Randy Orton, this third generation talent. Right. And then there's John Cena, the guy who was the bodybuilder you know but look at him he had the physique he had the look and obw i know it's this has probably been mentioned a thousand times but this is almost like uh, just like pre-nxt but it was treated in a whole, entirely different sense it wasn't like the oh let's go and train it's we're gonna train you but this is a whole ass promotion at the same time mm-hmm. and the idea of obw and like folks look back at it fondly, they talk about it fondly from the things that I've read and, and watched about in interviews and such. But primarily John Cena, you can almost like, if you have no knowledge of wrestling, right, and you were to present somebody the, the, that, that OVW4 of Lesnar, Batista, Orton, and Cena, I wouldn't be surprised if folks gravitate towards Cena solely because of his look. Yeah, you got Lesnar and Batista, the bigger guys, and Orton, you know, the really good-looking one. But something about John like stuck out from the bunch, and obviously we saw that once he debuted on SmackDown. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and speaking of his debut with, on SmackDown, this turns us now to June twenty seventh, two thousand and two, almost twenty years to the day at time of recording, where he answers an open challenge from Kurt Angle, and then after declaring that he possessed what Vince McMahon was calling on the roster to produce, you know, the famous ruthless aggression. He actually ends up putting a really good showing against Angle, albeit in a losing effort. And Scott, I think the key moment from this promo was not just, you know, that Cena made an impactful debut against, at that point, you know, a WWE veteran, but he actually got a lot of congratulations from the guys backstage, most notably Undertaker, who... um you know, definitely sh- who was the, I believe, WWE champion at the time. And I think to get a sign of praise from the Undertaker is like the ultimate sign of of respect, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because even by that point, he's very much the like locker room leader. And even without the title, he's like one of the biggest names backstage. So it was a big bit of respect and you know, big honor for Cena at that point. I think you could tell they were they did have some plans for him, but it's just weird how he would go from there because, you know, all four guys get called up at the same time. Lesnar pretty much shoots off right at the gate, being the the Lesnar that we would come to know. And uh, I think Cena, Batista and Orton all kind of struggle to find their footing because while the prototype, as Chris said, had all this charisma, even though some of these promos, you look back at them, were very genetic heel promos. After this, even though he was now losing effort, he was kind of, Cena you know, unfortunately didn't have much character after this and he was, very blunt about it in the Ruthless Aggression documentary, saying that he considers this period of his career a bit of a flop.
0: Mm. Chris, just sort of what Scott said about, you know, this part of his career being a flop. It was, he was right in saying, you know, it got off to a great start. You know, he got victories over Chris Jericho and a few other uh, notable names on SmackDown, like Prince Albert and Devon Dudley, etc. But for a time being, you know, he was restricted to, a lot of Velocity appearances. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what Velocity was, it was kind of like the equivalent of what WWE, the, the WWE Superstars show is today. It's sort of like you know, the pre-show before recording Raw and stuff where the, the undercard talent get a chance to shine. But do you think his stock sort of fell flat You know, after what seemed to be like an immediate push to the moon as soon as he debuted?
2: Well, we've seen that a lot, especially in recent memory, with a lot of the crop that we get from those developmental, ter- like I, and I use developmental very loosely um, until at least NXT 2.0 happened. But folks get that, that, that jolt of energy, right? And I guarantee if Cena doesn't perform the way he does, if he doesn't do that ruthless aggression that he headbutts Kurt Angle, if that doesn't mm-hmm. go over as well as it does we may not be talking about John Cena how we do now, you know, mm-hmm. as this 16-time world champion, the face of WWE, arguably the the face of professional wrestling for an entire generation. Like, we probably wouldn't be talking about that. But mm-hmm. that moment solidified him as, hey, look, this guy has something. And it bought him time until we got to that doctor of phlegonomics gimmick that I bet we're going to talk about in a second. Yeah. But him showing up on velocity and stuff like that. I look at the, look at the talent that they had at the time. You know, I would very much doubt, Oh, let's put John Cena in this, in the, like this, like how he was, how he was presented at the time against triple H, right? They put him up against Chris Jericho, which is a huge rub. And that's awesome. But then it kind of dwindled after that. And maybe it was because of the booking at the time. He just got lost in the shuffle. Maybe because he had he didn't really have a character, you know, Brock coming in, this big guy, you know, Batista getting paired up with Divon and Randy Orton. Again, he was in a similar position until he got his big rub, but John, once he found his, his position and once he found his spot within the roster, within the main roster, it was undeniable the star that they had on their hands.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of the star they had on their hands, it wasn't until... Halloween of two thousand and two, where we first see Cena perform his first freestyle rap while dressed as Vanilla Ice at the at Halloween party, and then shortly afterwards, um, we were introduced to the Doctor of Thugonomics, expanding his gimmick to include um, essentially rap battling before his matches, and then changing his gear up from generic trunks and ge- and boots to like snapback hats sports jerseys and of course the infamous jorts as well which he still wears to this day but scott one thing about the the doctor Thugonomics gimmick is that cena revealed in a 2020 documentary on the wwe network that this changing gimmick actually saved his career because the ruthless aggression generic cena wasn't quite getting over as well as as well as they'd hoped but it was down to a a freestyle rap session with Rikishi and Rey Mysterio uh, at the back of a a tour bus that actually resulted in the gimmick becoming a thing. So, I mean, can you imagine where we'd be today with if John Cena got released by that point and we'd never have got to see something as outstanding as the Doctor of Thugonomics?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of those like saving grace moments for, for John. And you know if there was like if there was a film version of his life, this would be that low moment, and then the hero suddenly comes back, comes back up after a flick of luck. Because you know we talk about how much of a fan he was of rap, like growing up him and his brother used to listen to rap all the time, and then he heard people like Mikishi and that on the back of the, a tour bus. And he thought, well, I'm probably going to be out here in a couple months. I think he said he was plainly told that, yeah, we've got we've got another round of releases in a couple of months. You're probably going to be on that list. So. He pretty much knew his days were numbers. So he thought, I might as well enjoy myself while I'm here. And he joined in. And it just so happened that Stephanie, who was the GM at SmackDown at the time, listened to the raps. And then you see his first segment where he raps, just finales. He's rapping to Stephanie McMahon. So, you know, he was lucky for him that she was on that bus because that kind of gave him a new fear. And it does, like, go to the old adage about great wrestling gimmicks that it's a bit of yourself but turned ups because he's into rap, So now he got to rap weekly on TV, gave him more of a character, got we saw show more of a, more charisma. And you really look, look at white rappers from around that time in the media, he pretty much dresses a lot like they dress, so it was very relevant for the time as well.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming you're talking about like Eminem, especially, because I think he was like up and coming at the time, or at least very popular in the States.
1: I think people did, like, used to take the piss out of Cena for calling him like like The Rock later on if you'd called him an m want m, m-, m- wanted to
0: be mm-hmm. yeah uh but Chris the uh the character actually took off quite well all things considered you know there was that short stint with uh with B squared Bill Buchanan uh but you know that was a sort of blink and you miss it moment right there but for the first half of 2003 he actually started pursuing the WWE championship you know and by that point you know Cena was less than a year into his uh WWE run and he's already challenging for the big the big title Um, especially when they had a tournament after WrestleMania 19 he ended up getting wins over Eddie Guerrero, Undertaker and Chris Benoit three very distinguished names in the sort of wrestling industry the last one you can say what you will about you know what he did outside the ring but in the ring he was pretty impressive like how much do you think he sort of regenerated his push to the moon a little bit you know with this pursuit of the wwe title
2: oh he regenerated reinvigorated his entire career because of that like the doctor of economics gimmick yeah he gets clowned nowadays and maybe hasn't aged well what he was saying and how he was saying it sure but like imagine like for right now how max caster and AEW gets a reaction every little freestyle he does like it's the same, it's the same four bars, the same style every time, but it's, it gets louder and louder reactions every single week. And going back to 2003, that's the like, oh my God, I bet that worked like gangbusters. Just watching it on TV, going back, you know, and rewatching a lot of these things. John Cena must, was white hot because it was unlike anything in WWE at the time. Who the hell else was, you know, in embracing hip hop within WWE and rapping as a way to diminish his opponents verbally, you know? Like, and yeah, we've had some great people on the mic, especially at that time. There were a lot of folks that were very good at promos, but John brought this different energy to it that made him stick out so much so when he when he brought the gimmick back. Years later at WrestleMania, it still got a big reaction. Folks were intro. That's how John Cena was introduced to people with his with his oversized football jerseys, his big chains, word life. Like that was a big part of John Cena's career, and that's what that may be what saved him. And honestly, if we want to get crazy, if we want to say, if we want to make bold statements, Stephanie McMahon hearing him start freestyling with Rey Mysterio and Rikishi and putting it on TV, that changed the course of WWE programming. We might not have felt it then, but here again, here we are 20 years later. Without mm-hmm. that, we don't get John Cena, How what he will become. And who knows what WWE programming looks like without John Cena in it. You, you mentioned the idea of him possibly getting released. All right, let's pluck John Cena from from WWE history. Let's say that the hip hop gimmick doesn't work. You know, he doesn't get those those victories against Benoit and against Guerrero. You know, in a in a in a main event program, right? And he gets released. What does history look like then? What mm. is WWE status within pop culture? You know, John is the John Cena is the biggest name to come out of WWE. Like, yeah, there's there's Dwayne The Rock, John Cena. He, was, he did not wrestle as much as John did. John made a name for himself doing the pro wrestling stuff and then did the movies and then came back. Dwayne took a very long break from wrestling. And mm-hmm. yeah, and he came back and it was awesome. It was, it was rad. But John Cena, people underestimate how big john cena's pop culture footprint is everybody knows the oh you can't see me everybody knows that everybody knows who he is but damn he was the face of pro wrestling to a big audience to a major audience for over a decade for well over a
0: decade and uh,
2: it all started because he was rapping on SmackDown.
0: Yeah, and you know, you brought up some very good points about you know he became an actor, he became a a rapper, releasing his own album as well. We'll uh, we'll touch yep. up on that in just a bit. But I'd uh, like to take this hey, opportunity,
1: hey, yeah, to in, add to what some things that Chris was saying about how big like you know, character was on SmackDown at the time. I think part of the reason it became so popular is because well, I think SmackDown at that time in the early two thousands, you know brand split era, or the initial brand split era that is, uh, it was seen as a wrestling show, mm-hmm. and uh, while he's improved over the years, the more he's you know, been around, at the time he was still fairly new, and so maybe it wasn't the flashiest wrestler, the most technically sound, but he was clearly the big, one of the biggest characters that Smackdown had, mm-hmm. and so I think that's why helped him stand out, because people forget that this, the Doctor of Thingonomics gimmick started off as a heel character, but quickly got like really over to the point where he had to organically turn face and well the people know that when they were wanting him to turn face then that he'd probably be staying in that position for a long time despite what people would have said uh, and yeah you talked about the WWE title match with Brock uh, the introduction of the FU uh, or now the attitude adjustment to kind of mock the, the F5 you'll forget that Brock went as the face in Cena the heel which to modern fans might seem weird mm. and then uh, he got even bigger, bigger like feuds out of that because of how over he was getting. You know, an expanded pay per view. He's the heel against the Undertaker, and he got a feud mostly on TV against Eddie Guerrero, which it culminated in a, a parking lot brawl, which a lot of people talk about.
0: Yeah, the parking lot brawl was actually I think one of seen as better matches within his first uh, year or so. I think just because I think that would think that was Cena's first pursuit of the US title as well, but he wouldn't receive it until. WrestleMania 20 but one thing I will like to touch upon again and I think this is what made his character so popular with the fans one thing I should note about early 2000s was there was very little in the way of like political correctness and it was still very much sort of having the hangover from the Attitude Era and stuff so people were still sort of testing the boundary with what they could say on TV and WWE itself wasn't a PG product back then so you they could say a lot more stuff and I just want to share some of the the freestyle raps which I I mean, just reading it out loud, and I was listening to it as a as a teenager. You think, like, how did you look in hindsight? You think, how did they get away with this stuff? So this is one from Ju, this is from March two thousand th- no, sorry, July two thousand and three. And I'm um, I have to <laughs> I have to apologise to Ross here because uh, it's um, talking about Billy Gunn on this one. I think he's the subject of it. So some of the lines include. You can't see me. I'm a legend. You should pay me some respect. And if you're late on paying me, I'm going to come and collect. So now I wrestle Mr. Ass. The dude who likes to suck it. Tory's a cover-up, bro. We know you take it in the bucket. Like,
2: Whoa. <laughs> I mean, he, has
1: just, he had just been the previous year in a tag team with Chuck, where they implied that they were, you know, more than friends. So,
0: continuity
1: mm. on the show. That's incredible.
0: <laughs> Oh, wait, wait to see the second half as well. It's like, hey, I'm not nervous because you got this weird fetish with butts. I'm scared because your favorite food is sausage and nuts. You can't handle the truth, Billy. You'd rather feel up, Chuck. You don't want to wrestle with me. All you want to do is... <clears throat>
1: <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> even where you wouldn't even have to say what uh, the next word would be, he just put the, the makeup to the crowd and they would do it themselves because even though there were still TV 14, there still were certain things they couldn't. You know, say on TV and I think that's probably why W we loved having Cena as that character because while they weren't the attitude anymore, they were still hoping to keep people who were quickly leaving over 2001, 2002 to try and prove. No, we're still fairly edgy, just not as much as we used to be. And Cena was one of those guys that could point out, let's like, see, what well, we never know what this guy's gonna say next.
0: Yeah, he's like I said he's always pushing the boundary with his uh with his raps a lot of the time. But there was um There was one more I wanted to share with you just as I was looking through all the different uh, rap battles that he did and I think it was the one after Survivor Series 2003 where he speaks to Vince McMahon and Sable (laughs) don't know if you guys remember that one
1: I remember him making a joke on Survivor Series where he's the first one for his team to come in and he goes I'm a one man army I don't need no stable I'd trade all my partners for a one night stand with Sable (laughs) yep that's it
0: (laughs) Uh, now the one I was thinking of was um, it was a uh, ask your slut she's only with you for the money homes when she's done stealing from you she comes to tickle my funny bones.
2: <laughs> wow, John was crazy as
0: hell. This- yeah, like you said, in hindsight, you know some of these rap, you think how the hell did they get away with saying that sort of stuff? But you know, one more, and I'll I um, and this one really took me by surprise because there's a clip of it on YouTube, and hearing it live, I think how. How, like, sheltered and innocent were we that they could get away with this? And this is from, you might not recognize his opponent that well, but it was against Kenzo Suzuki at the start of 2005. Um, Yeah, so it was a yo-yo, but hey-hey, that would leave me and Hiroko in the right place. I don't do makeup, girl, but I'll help you with the white face. (laughs) jeez. Oh, Oh,
2: my God.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Come on, loosen the kimono. Give me a little glance. I'll let you take a long look at the dragon in my pants.
1: (laughs) 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 Like... those two do glance and pants don't even ring. They sort of do.
0: Uh, awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is... I think this is the reason why everybody started to... You know, even though Cena was still technically a heel and he sort of naturally turned into a face, it's these sort of edgy edgy lyrics that I think got people on his side because, you know, people like to see people push the boundary a little bit, you know, see what they can get away with. And, I mean, everybody likes a good roast or an insult as well. And I think that's essentially what these were. They were just freestyle roasts at the same time. But...
1: I think maybe that's also a source of what the hatred for Cena in the later 2000s as the PG year goes on because... He wasn't you know, allowed to do it. Yeah, for someone who used to be so edgy... He seemed to be the face for for what a lot of people saw as a more sanitized, kid-friendly product.
0: Mm. But yeah, um, going back to his in-ring career, he ends up winning his first title, the United States title from Big Show, uh, WrestleMania 20. And throughout 2004, uh, he he went on to win the title an extra two more times. But this was when I think Cena really started came into his own. He was getting a really good mix of opponents, you know, with like Rene Dupree, Booker T, Billy Gunn, RVD, um, and he even ended up having that outstanding best of five series with Booker T, which culminated at No Mercy. How much do you guys remember of that feud? And you know, what was what? How do you think Cena was in his first reign as United States Champion? Like, Briscoe first on this one.
1: I mean,
2: WrestleMania 20, winning that belt. Uh, I I remember watching that because I mean I wasn't watching wrestling around that time, but I'm a big fan of John Cena and I've seen that match a plethora of times. And like, it may not be the best match ever, but yo, know, that U.S. belt and what that and what that would become. You know, I'm a big fan of the Spinner Belt, the mm-hmm. U.S. belt. I'll say that now. It's it's nicer to look at in my opinion, than the the, the the WWE belt, but that's a conversation for a different day. But the, what he would do going forward, like you mentioned, like the stuff with Booker T, like the best of five, I kind of wish we got more of that. I know it's kind of like, it's it's a nice way to drag out a feud, but, you know, Booker T was, he was he was the man at the time. Like, I love Booker T and I love Booker T and him like doing doing his stuff with with Booker and uh, soon to be Carlito. I, I think he was wrestling Carlito a lot around that time. Mm-hmm. I I was a I was a big fan of what John was doing, and again, like he was just exuding this this lot of personality, and matching with the guy like Booker. It it just makes sense, and I know we got some crazy stuff around that time too, if I'm not mistaken, with Vince and John and Booker. That I'm not gonna I'm not gonna repeat what words were said. On, on live television, mm-hmm. but with with John again, this this was also a very formative time of his career. And damn, I thought it was red.
0: Yeah, and you know, you brought up Carlito as well, who essentially, you know, I think that was one of the most bitter feuds that he had during that time. You know, it was a reason. I had a reason to really go after him. Uh, yeah. particu- well, he obviously had to get written off because he was fil- away filming the Marine. The first Marine film. And they and this was
2: at the club.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think that was the first sort of major high profile feud that I picked up on. And I, I was really invested in it at the time because, you know, obviously still being new to the wrestling scene, you sort, of, you sort of think, you know, what's kayfabe and what's real and stuff. But obviously, you know, it was for kayfabe purposes in hindsight, but it was for good reason because, you know, Cena was becoming that popular. He was taking the next big step into pop culture as a whole. And then when he came back, you know, we did. We only had a couple of matches with Carlito and he ended up getting injured at Survivor Series that year. But instead, we were treated to not just the new spinner belt at Armageddon that year, but we also got a pretty one sided street fight against Jesus, the guy who allegedly did the incident. It was. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah like, do you guys remember, like, Jesus at all? Because I think he only ever had that one match and maybe, I think, another one against a. Uh, a local talent.
1: Yeah, I think he was like one of those guys who was in developmental for a long time, because I think at some point in the 2000s, he popped up as like a conquistador, like under the mask, i read somewhere. (laughs) Did he? Yeah, apparently. So I can't remember when, because quite a few times they brought people back to where those sits and it was was the energy who was underneath them. But Cena is US champion. Well, the tape that I had of WrestleMania 20, some reason cut off the opening match, so I never got to see Cena win the title until years later. I always think of John Cena when I think of that old version of the US belt, just the, just the title belt was just a massive flag over it, which is better than the one we've got now, but I remember I'm having that feud with Rene Dupree going on Judgment Day, and like, he GM Kurt Angle being so against Cena that he said a phrase that he said, I never thought I'd say this, but I'd be proud to have a Frenchman represent the US than John Cena. <laughs> and then, and then the stuff with Booker was, was amazing. Uh, I think Booker really helped John there in that feud, and I remember when I was like, okay, last time I checked, it was 1-0. And then they said, oh, it's now 2-1 at Booker. He won at a land, random live event in Australia. Like, okay, so now it's a must-win match for John Cena. Mm-hmm. And I was rooting for John Cena at the, the time. And then, yeah, not just Carlito he was rooting with. It. it was Carlito, Caribbean. and Cool, yes. Yeah, some yeah people, you're right. Some people lose one name. He lost, he lost both names. And, yeah, something I hadn't thought about until now. But was it a smart idea to have the, the son of Carlos Galón, who had a promotion which famously saw a man stabbed to death in the locker room
0: be involved in an angry <gasps> bodyguard to stabbed him.
2: Oh, oh, what?
0: I never even what? considered that. That is outrageous.
2: Oh my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really tickled Chris there.
2: Oh my God. have I th- I want to say I've heard this before This sounds very, it sounds very familiar, but my God. that's crazy
0: oh gosh yeah
2: to answer your question um no i don't remember (laughs) jesus until i did my homework for this i'm like oh look there's jesus the guy that stabbed john cena i remember john getting stabbed at the club Mm. i remember that whole the whole story to get him to go to the marine which by the way the marine kicks a lot of ass it kicks a lot of ass
0: we'll be Mm. wrong But Jesus, yeah, I I vaguely remember him, vaguely. Uh, He was a blink, again, you know, a bit like B squared, you know, blinking, you miss him essentially. But moving on now to some even more progression for Cena's career, you know, he was still United States champion for the first uh, bit of 2005, unfortunately dropping it to Orlando Jordan after winning the number one contenders tournament. And there was... I remember listening at the time, there was, I think there could have been a chance, you know, he could have been a double champion, you know, be WWE and United States champion at the time. But, you know, it wasn't meant to be, but he ends up winning the WWE title from JBL at WrestleMania. And during that phase, you know, he sort of transitions out from the basic thugonomics theme to his now famous My Time Is Now theme. And he refers to himself as the chain gang leader, you know, something a bit more like, I think it was almost in comparison to G-Unit the popular sort of rap group and Scott, the um, the win at WrestleMania 21 was definitely a very pivotal point because, you know, again, Cena made this whole transition into a new character he brings out the spinner belt and at that point he launches his, uh, his rap album as well um, I think it was just called You Can't See Me along with his cousin The Trademark like, how big of a boom was this to Cena's career after, you know, seeing all the all that he'd accomplished in such a short space of time
1: yeah it was it was amazing to see how fast he came up i didn't really think about how quick it was happening because you know i was a, a very young fan at the time and i was a big fan of Smith, so just seeing cena do well made me happy and i know all of you look back on it and don't look so fondly on it i mean as much as i love the undisputed belt that jbl was holding it's one of my, my favorite retail design Same. At the time. I, as a child, I was all in for the spinner belt. I still have the spinner belt. I bought it in 2005. How <laughs> long ago this was? I'm pretty sure I bought it in a Woolworths. Uh, went on to Woolworths to buy it. And uh, look, even after one of the side plates broke off a couple of years later, I still I still used it. But, yeah, it really suited Cena, but I think the biggest issue with the spinner belt is the fact that they would keep it around for so long, even for like long beards where Cena wasn't in the title picture, but it's the idea of, like, you know, they, they were kind of annoying him as, like, the new, big like, big star in the company, and, like, past big star, like, Austin had their own personnel, so give Cena his own, like, belt, and I think it worked out well. The match where JBL at WrestleMania wasn't really the best, but the right quit match at uh, Judgment Day was yeah. one of the first examples we saw of a proper violent, you know, John Cena with the with the, blood, the image of the blood streaming down his face because even though Cena you know, later on when the PGA couldn't bleed a lot, like, when he got a chance to, he went all out with
0: him. Mm. But, you know, fun fact about John Cena in I Quit Matches, he's actually 5-0 and o in I Quit Matches. He's never lost one. But then again, it sort of fits in with his gimmicks. So he's, he's beaten JBL, Randy Orton, Batista, The Miz, and Rusev all in I Quit Matches. Quite a, quite a diverse pool of talent there.
1: Never give up, baby mm mm-hmm. yep about the the rusev one to be honest with you i like okay i knew that one knew that one and he went and rusev oh all right <laughs> yeah.
0: but yeah um later that year he actually ends up going to raw as the number one draft pick that year and he would go on to have some pretty solid feuds with the likes of chris jericho and kurt angle specific angle the one being a particular you know towards the the second half of the year where he lost in a dq effort uh Unforgiven He then had a triple threat Against Angle and Shawn Michaels At Taboo Tuesday And then the the feud sort of rounded off At Survivor Series that year Where he had Devari as his guest referee But this Scott actually became a point Where I think the crowd Was starting to sour on Cena a little bit I don't know if it was just because you know, He was sort of devolving into this Sort of Superman character The battle raps weren't as frequent And you know were people just getting a little bit Bored of him at this point?
1: I think uh, as he got more into the main event scene and beating like established guys, he's he had st- he to gone into a style that worked for him, and uh, he didn't really want to move in out of of that. And now he was firmly established in the, the main event scene and a thing in fans' eyes. He wasn't really developing as they thought he should. So I think that's where all the you know the can wrestle chance to be tier over the years for Cena, even though he, he clearly can. And I think it was just the fact he was fighting guys that were a bit more popular, more established with the crowd, like. I think it's in these foods with jericho and Angle. you first start to properly hear it uh, even at the ecw one night stand show you know see us on that card there the w guys are at the balcony and they were chatting some things about cena the crowd was chatting about cena there in a very unpopular way so clearly there was a strong position of the hardcore fans who didn't like this new chosen WE like like main guy because of the thing where they made their choice between Cena and Batista like that's why Cena went to Raw and Batista went to Smackdown as much as Batista hated going to Smackdown. Mm-hmm. One fun brief feud he had for weeks before Christian got drafted was Christian got involved in the, the feud with Jericho and it was that segment where he's trying to wrap with Cena goes Tomko give me a beat no saying no one refusing to give Christian a beat and Christian just looking at him just so upset with him like you gotta have my back here it's the single best thing Tonko did in his entire career
0: yeah that's true I think I recall that Uh, what about the Royal Rumble that year as well I think it was like Captain Charisma walking around with your fake smile think you can rap just because you watched 8 Mile Word on the street is that your peeps are weak and you and Blackbeard share a bedroom sleep (laughs) I, I'm going to throw some of these in just whenever the opportunity arises. and But yeah, you, you mentioned the ECW one-night stand, Scott. We will get to that, I promise you, in just a minute. But I think when the point where I think we really started to see the crowd go against Cena, it was WrestleMania 22 in, in his match with Triple H. Now, bear in mind, this match w- was in Chicago. And we know Chicago is a very... They know we all know what kind of crowd they are, you know, that we know how they see wrestling in general, you know, when we see them at live events and stuff. Chris, you're from Chicago, right? Oh, damn right. Uh, so what's your opinion of the Chicago crowd as a whole in their response to Cena, given that he's not really overly popular in the town?
2: So Chicago is just, it's one of those quintessential wrestling towns, you know. It may to me, I, 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 mean, I'm biased. Like, I'm as we're recording this, I'm sitting in Chicago, so it's very hard for me to shit talk it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Chicago is just a great crowd for wrestling. It's a, it's a great town for it, and Chicago is brutally honest in regards to what they like and what they dislike. Whether uh, like I'm there at a show, I've seen it firsthand uh, for a bunch of different promotions. But this, this time in Cena's career, this was when, like, the super Cena was becoming... Like, he, he was slowly building up into the whole, like, oh, LOL, Cena wins meme that we would get not too, not too um, long after this. But racking up all these signature wins against these high-profile guys, right? Angle, uh, at the time, like, Christian michaels triple h you know these are all these bigger all these big named wrestlers and cena just keeps winning regardless of the circumstance Mm -hmm. and i i believe even before the the triple h match at 22 uh the edge stuff happened and i know like in the whole feud with edge was like career defining for cena but again that was also a big case of crowds turning on him Geez, I, I want to say even in Boston, his hometown crowd, you know, West Newberry, Massachusetts, right around the corner from Boston, they were booing him there. And that was a big testament to what how they were booking Cena. So Chicago, and mm-hmm. their brutal honesty, you know, like that definitely doesn't help either. And this would be a trend for the rest of Cena's career that, oh yeah, he's going to win, ha ha ha, lol. But the, the the WrestleMania 22 match against Triple H, another guy who would always get caught up in how he wins every single thing, but at the, like what you guys were saying, it was more so the fatigue of seeing John succeed every single time. Change is a good thing, but Vince saw, he knew what he liked, and what he liked was John Cena, and he was going to keep giving him to us whether
0: we liked it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very much, you know, the beginning of Super Cena at that point. And we'll get to that in uh, in just a bit as well. But, Scott, you mentioned it earlier on, the ECW one-night stand crowd where he, Rob Van Dam, cashed in the Money in the Bank contract. Now, bear in mind this as well, you know, following the the filming of the Marine, he started, Cena started doing a lot of, he started doing the salute uh, as he came down to the ring, as opposed to the battle raps, you know, in sort of a tribute to the troops in a way. Um but, you know, in some cases, you know, there was either no salute, for example, you know, one night stand being this case here, and then we wouldn't see it again until Money in the Bank 2011. But you could tell, you know, that um, Cena was entering a host- a very hostile crowd for this one. And even before the match started, you know, things just got extremely rabid. Like, have you ever seen a, like a crowd hate, a particular wrestler that much?
1: Yeah, I, I wasn't familiar with a lot of ECW until I watched ECW to the nightstand to insects because I think I was too young at that time to really understand what ECW was. And so I, thought, but I knew like there were certain guys who were from ECW, so I thought, okay, RVD will probably be the favorite. But yeah, watching it, I did not expect there to be such you no know, vitriol. And then like the famous Cena throwing, he's certainly the crowd, and I get thrown back. and you know, I think he knew what he was doing, so he thought, like, let's see how many times I can throw this, and like, see so it get thrown back, and I know there's an argument to me that Cena at one point should have made a change to his character, maybe turned teal and, you know, stopped all the years of, like, fan like, hatred for him, uh, or his character, that is. But I think there are instances where allowing the Cena hate to go on makes certain matches that he has, where he's in such a hostile environment like this, or when you mentioned Money in the Bank 2011, or even like he's matched with AJ at SummerSlam twenty sixteen, there were people in the front who you could tell like weren't were not convinced AJ was gonna win until the final bell. So like when he has matches like this, they're actually improved by the fact that people don't want Cena to win. And when mm-hmm. Cena's in that like environment, I mean, he weirdly thrives better because he understands what his role is and he really plays into it.
0: Mm-hmm. But 2006 wasn't all bad for Cena, you know. He did have some outstanding matches with Edge. Um, You know, Edge was entering his second WWE title run. They got the match at SummerSlam. And then they had that vastly underrated tables, ladders, and chairs match at Unforgiven in Toronto, which, you know, was already going to be an anti-Cena crowd uh, at that point. Like, that AA off the the ladder through the two tables, like, I'm amazed Edge was able to go through that stunt given his uh, history with neck injuries and stuff. But... I mean, they use that
1: spot in, like, future do not try us at home packages. That's how you know yeah. that, that was a hell of a, a spot. But I mean, that spot is brutal as hell.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not It's not like uh, Cena took some big spots as well, because I think he was pushed off a ladder to through a table to the outside as well. So I think they both laid it online there. Uh, you talk
1: about, like, Edge. Like, I'll say he was up on and off again with Edge in 2006, and then revisit things later on. I know we're going to talking a little bit about his stuff with Orton, and that's going to be a big part of his uh, career. And I know Debbie like to hype up the rivalry between Cena and Orton, but I don't, <laughs> you guys agree, but like Cena's rivalry with Edge is like, I think, 10 times better than anything he did with Orton. Because the start of the Orton Cena feud in like 2007 had a lot of problems before Cena gets hurt, but 2009 onwards, I couldn't give a fuck. Because we're just like <laughs> our two biggest stars. And they're going to rest on this epic feud until there's a winner. Like, if yeah, they keep giving us matches. We now at this point don't care if there's a winner because we've seen it a thousand times.
0: Yep. Yeah. But that was the beginning of what would be seen as longest WWE title run at over 13 months. And as you said, lo- losing it um, due to injury, unfortunately, I had to relinquish it. But um, it wasn't off to the best of starts, unfortunately. But before I, I go to that, that WWE title run included another main event match with Shawn Michaels, followed by an, an incredible forty-seven minute marathon match in the UK, which I think is people still regard as one of Cena's best matches ever. And then he then goes on to have alternating feuds with Randy Orton, Edge, Shawn Michaels, King Booker, Bobby Lashley, and even Mick Foley popped up popped up at one point. So it's um it was a really a, a who's who for Cena's longest WWE title run at that point, but. When I was referring to it, didn't go off to the best of starts. He, he was faced with his uh, most irritating rival of all, Kevin Federline.
1: Oh, here now, <laughs> I, I got forced to watch this match, uh, and it was a whole other thing I don't have to get into, but I remember sitting there watching, like, I'm going to hate this. And you know what? Kevin Federline had one of the best celebrity matches I've ever seen. Again, even, be- <laughs> even better than Bad Bunny? Well, no, oh no, he's not bad, Bunny, like Logan Paul levels, but he's better than the, your fucking your Snookies and your, your likes of that. You're better than your Jay Leno's that popped up in the '90s. But he's in the top five. He he take, he sells better than Donald Trump sold that Stunner at
0: Mania 23. <laughs> so better than Vince <laughs> stole the Stunner at WrestleMania 38.
1: Honestly, give it a match to watch. It's not much in terms of moves, but you know mm-hmm. Kevin Federline plays his part well. And but wait, I'm here from Yoon manga.
0: Wait, there was a battle rap, though. Oh. You want to you wanna knock on these people, K-Fed? You must be dreaming. You see, they hang with a Marine. You're with a dude who likes semen. Are you, <laughs> are you mad, Johnny Nitro? You don't got the nuts to hear me. And if K-Fed wasn't around, I'd be spearing Brittany.
1: Jesus
0: <laughs> I I think that was his last ever battle rap. I think, according to the archives, apart from you know, obviously when he brought it back in uh, in his feud with The Rock, but yeah, I think that was probably the last one he ever did. And who better to uh, drop it on as well against somebody you know who wasn't universally liked at that point? That's incredible.
2: I I love that so much. And like, <laughs> what what a... um <laughs> the, the whole Kevin Fetter line of it all. I can't believe that happened. I wonder if John's talked about that um, in, in the last couple of years, you know, looking back, looking back at his career. Because his career's not done by any means, but, like, there's... I, I would love for John Cena just to have, like, a beat-for-beat like beat breakdown of his career, because I want to hear about his whole stuff with Kevin Federline in excruciating detail. Like, I, I want to hear every single conversation they had, and every single piece of it. But that, that part of his run you're like in Scott, like you mentioned uh, the the edge of it all, which I I'm a big Orton Cena guy, because like, that's when I started watching wrestling was when Orton and Cena were like Cena was the super baby face and Orton was the, the dickhead heel and he was bald headed and gross and weird looking. <laughs> but I I I love them and they were wrestling each other all the time. I had no choice but to but to watch them. But like what you said, the Edge feud—I think that was the career-defining feud for him. Mm. Um, like, and I don't want to just say that because it happened first and it was the big, high-profile high one. But it was Cena, like Cena and Edge, were those like they were the two guys again—the babyface and the heel—and Cena was getting booed everywhere he went. And you mentioned that Unforgiven match in Toronto—that was the. Like, that crowd hated Cena. It wasn't ECW one-night stand where they hated everyone that wasn't wrestling for ECW, mm-hmm. but that Toronto crowd was ruthless mm-hmm. aggression. And they they wanted... I mean, people just wanted something different, but again, John would prevail. And granted, it was in a crazy-ass finish, but that Edge feud, along with the other ones that you mentioned, Andy, with the... Um, you have the, um, like you have the stuff with my- Shawn Michaels and Shawn Michaels, my God, like he was like the, the match on Raw that he had was one of the better matches that, that I've seen on Raw and, and, and it's, and it's the entire run. And I'm, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that, that one run contains so much good shit like you don't even have to mention the other runs that he had he had after that up until mm-hmm. that point
1: that's a hall of fame career in itself and i'm I'm so glad y'all mentioned that yeah um i think, I think 2007 sorry dave i think 2007 yeah. was like the year where he you know basically went. you think i can't wrestle watch this <laughs> your kind of thing is like I've even heard some of his biggest detractors talk about. He's like, oh, shit. he's Rumble 2007 Last Man Standing match with Omega, or as Rigo always say, "Umgga, manga. Manga. Michaels matches like this man got some decent matches out of the Great Cali. Uh, I, yeah. I imagine they were, yeah. like, oh, they think Cena can't wrestle. Who's a worst wrestler? Uh, get that lumbering off over here. He'll main event in the next here for you to Cena, and then basically using Cena to try and see. Uh, how ready Bobby Lashley was at the time to be like in the main event picture as well. Like that Great American Bash match, I think it's fairly underrated.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, the TLC oh, one still, Unforgiven 2006 as a whole is probably one of the most underrated pay-per-views I've ever watched. Because we, we've got a Hell in a Cell match at that pay-per-view as well between DX, the McMahons and the Big Show. But still oh, hell, a, yes. very big comedic spots in that as well. But 2008... Um, Bear in mind, he was ruled out with a pec injury right before No Mercy and had to relinquish the title. He returns to the Royal Rumble in one of the most epic returns ever, about two months ahead of schedule. And he goes all the way to the main event of WrestleMania against Randy Orton and Triple H. But funnily enough, he actually wouldn't win the world title until much later in the year after going through a a feud with Batista at SummerSlam. And he ends up getting injured again. Uh, herniated disc in his neck uh, which required surgery but he was back in around the same time he was out for his pec injury and then comes back to defeat Chris Jericho for the the world heavyweight championship so again it's it was mostly a bit of a injury-filled year and a few sort of undercard feuds for Cena in 2008 but coming back in around 2009 he sort of carried that on a little bit you know you know, we had the last man standing match with Edge at Backlash. I think the WrestleMania 25 that year was a little bit underwhelming, given that it was stolen by Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, uh, which was a one-match WrestleMania. And, but then we'd see the return to the, the Randy Orton feud, Scott, uh, where I think Triple H and Randy Orton feuded for the first half of that year. But then... Cena and Orton would go on to face each other in, like, uh, face each other at SummerSlam. They had the i the aforementioned I Quit match. They then went to Hell in a Cell, and then we culminated it for that time being with the sixty minute anything goes Iron Man match at Bragging Rights. And I don't know about you, but do you think this was one of the most mental matches that you've ever seen?
1: I mean. Looking at 2008, it's weird that they decided again, to keep him out of the tail, but I think they were hoping that people would warm back up to him because he got such a big pot with his return at the Rumble because nobody at that time knew just how much of a freak, like Wolverine-esque healing factor he seemed to have. Like Nobody thought he'd be back because they were all saying, oh, it's probably out for a year or so. Uh, so nobody expected him to come back at the Rumble. And Then he holds the World Heavyweight tail a couple of times, which... And I think I've seen as World Champion, it's hard to think of him with anything other than the WWE belt. Because, you know, I just don't think of him holding the big gold belt. But the stuff with Orton, remember the hell, and selling the Iron Man match. I I remember coming back into wrestling around that time, just as they were building up to the bragging rights match. And like not really, i like watching the video package. A very well put together video package, by the way, though. Of the, the the matches they've been having about from '07 onwards, and like, oh, this is I get tuned back in I see the end of this big feud. And I rewatched it years later. Thought, this wasn't actually that great, but mm-hmm. the Iron Man match, I think some wrestlers do well in that situation. And this one felt like they were basically we need to make this no DQ through everything added just to keep fans' attention. And you knew they were desperate because they had a spot where Orin literally tried to kill Cena via pyro.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that, and it was sixty minutes as well. So I think the last time I think we've seen a sixty-minute Iron Man match was uh, Brock and Angle in SmackDown two thousand and three. So it, I think it was quite a quite a treat to see.
1: I think they'd actually done an Iron. There's a forgotten Iron match on Raw in oh four between Benoit and Triple H. <sighs> yes, which obviously is because I also forgot because Triple H because of Benoit's know, uh, the way he passed. And, you know, people also forget that that match was ended and won- swung in Benoit's favour thanks to a run in from Eugene, of all people.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, I think the less talk- we talk about Eugene, the the better. But before we move on to the sort of 2010 era of Cena's career, we have, I did mention at the start of the show, we did have uh, some community page interaction about what people liked were their favourite moments and matches from Cena's first 10 years. And I'm going to share some of these with you just now. So, Callum Bennett says his match at WrestleMania with Shawn Michaels and his match with CM Punk at Money in the Bank. We will get to that. But yeah, both excellent matches there. Jack Graham says, I always enjoyed his rival with, with JBL. Some good times. Ryan Dalglish says, going with nostalgia, the Carlito feud is the first one I can remember watching. That feud always sticks out to me as one of the ones that got me into wrestling in the first place. And then Sean Smith added, he survived a nightclub stabbing. <laughs> You're
2: gonna and going like to add to to that. This- uh, and Dave, but to add to that for a second, I, yeah, I like that like you're you running through your uh, the 2008 until 2010 with John Cena. But and Scott mentioned it for a moment; he talked about it. But you, we can. My favorite, possibly my favorite John Cena moment of the 2000s mm-hmm. was that Royal Rumble return.
0: Like oh yes, you,
2: like you, y'all had mentioned the like the Wolverine like healing factor and the moment that it was. But like David, the second you said, like oh he came back in two thousand eight at the Rumble, I'm like wait a minute, wait a minute,
0: like Hi.
2: he came back. But like not only do I think that Rumble is pretty slept on, is it the best one ever? Hell no. But you know I still found it to be really fun, and maybe it's the vibe and the aesthetic of Madison Square Garden where that show was at, and hearing Cena's music and the the reaction that he got. So like we've been talking about how Cena's been getting booed and jeered when he wins matches when he came back at that rumble coming in at number 30 to win the damn thing New York City lost their damn mind when that they're happened. dead yes. and I and a lot of folks I guarantee at home we we're all watching it we all lost our collective shit too like that was a moment and I I know in recent rumble history have gotten a lot of big rumble returns on a big rumble moments but to me that Cena one is incredible, especially at the time, in two thousand eight, where we're really like the the crop. the The main event talent isn't as main event as it once was, and we're slow. We're slowly entering that that PG dark era of WWE that we're probably going to get into in a second.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But with what we had at the time at Madison Square Garden in New York City, Cena coming out, and it was. It was a moment in time, like it was. It was crazy as hell, and he eliminated Triple H, which made me a very happy boy. I wasn't the biggest Triple H guy at the time, mm. but I, damn, I love that moment. I love that match too. It's it's probably one of my favorite Cena matches, even though if if we're going to count the Rumble as and match for Cena,
0: yeah, no, that's fine. You know, I think that moment deserved a bit of beefing up as well, especially just given the reaction of Madison Square Garden as a whole. Same with the commentators as well, because I think. You know, their reaction alone pretty much sold the moment, as did Triple H with his like what the fuck face on his look on oh, his right. <laughs> f- what the what the fuck look when on his face. He was like, on
2: the back of the shirt. And <laughs> yeah. it was that was a cool ass that was a moment, man. I love that shit. I love he was that way, like, like,
0: oh, I love triple, it. Triple H is like, dude, you're injured. Why the hell are you here? Like, <laughs>
2: right, you it's think? my it's my time, dude. It's yeah. my time.
0: But some of the other responses we have is that David the GOAT, David Campbell has said you want proof Cena as, as a good worker check out his matches against Kali in 2007 carried that giant to some matches that are far better than they should be and you know Scott mentioned it earlier you know, he actually got a great match out of the great Cali, and that was the false count anywhere match from one night stand 2007 Ross says his rivalry with the big show for the US title is my first memory of him the rumbles are classics and if you take it on the match alone better than his money in the bank match with Punk <sighs> Ooh, I don't know about that
2: Ooh, uh, I don't know about that, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Stephen Wilson, Wilson says two words ruthless aggression. Iconic. And finally, Sean Smith says one night stand 2006, played his role perfectly that night. The last man standing match against Umaga at Royal Rumble 07 might be his best match ever. And of course, Money Ooh. in the Bank 2011. Again, plays his role perfectly in an iconic match and moment, the US Open Challenge, etc. But, you know, we'll save that for another show, etc. But yeah, um, that was our feedback. If uh, thank you for everybody that posted responses. If you want to get involved, just follow the Eat Sleep Supermax community community page. We're always posting new topics of discussion. Just get involved. We'd love to hear your your thoughts on it. But yeah, moving on to 2010 now, and again, it sort of he sort of returns to the WWE title scene uh, a bit. You know, because he at the end of 2009, he loses the the title to Sheamus in the tables match regains the elimination chamber only to lose it minutes later to Batista, who would then, he would then go on to have a trilogy of matches with, uh, one at WrestleMania, one at extreme rules in a last man standing match where he tied, he duct taped his feet to the, the ring post, which I thought is probably the most creative finish I've seen in a last man standing match. And then we can't obviously forget the, the famous I quit match where he got fu would from the top of the car through the stage. Um, I'll just open up to both of you. Like, was this a sort of play it safe return to Cena, you know, getting back in the title picture or an area which he's been used to for so long and sort of, was it sort of a a reemergence of the, you know, the super Cena type character that that people were sort of very divisive on?
2: I think folks at the time, like, especially like in retrospect, just in, in, like using a tunnel vision, just taking the product as it is, like, it might have been, you know, very uh, repetitive for Cena just to get back in the title picture, winning belts, main event, he's going to win, he's going to go over whoever. But at the time, from a business perspective, WWE almost needed Cena to be that guy. And by almost, I mean they kind of needed him to be that guy. Like he was the face of their he I mean shit, he's still on the merch, he's not even wrestling anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like at least not for now. But John, he was that larger than life superhero. And especially again, that damn moment at the rumble, that oh eight rumble, the more I think about it, the more I think it's my favorite
0: <laughs> ever. Just basket it, yeah.
2: But it's so good. It's so damn good. I'm so glad you brought that up, David. But yeah. the um the damn the, the, the early 2010s, like the 2000s, oh, specifically 2010 with Cena. Yeah, the, the moments of Batista were awesome, and he, it might have been repetitive, and folks might have been disgruntled by it, and that's when the a lot of the program was geared towards kids, and of course the kids love Cena, so they're going to put the belt on him, but they needed him to be that guy. Like they, mm-hmm. tried to, they tried to do it with Sheamus. They tried to do it with guys like Del Rio. They tried to do it with others and it just didn't work. And there were, of course, some that did work. And we're going to get to one of them when we talk about 2011.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But it was it, it was the right decision at the right time for for business. It, it, was, it was the right choice. Mm.
0: Well, speaking of right decision at right times, uh, Scott, I'd like to talk to you about his angle with the Nexus. You know, and that no, sort sure. of, yeah, and that pretty much summarized... Did Cena you
1: know, really kill the Nexus? I'm pretty sure a debate uh, yeah. by us, the experts, proved that he didn't, so...
0: Mm, I don't know about that, I still... I still, I still, I still stand fully behind the, the theory that Cena did kill the Nexus. Uh, but yeah, the Nexus was WWE's biggest anti-authority sort of faction you know given that you know there were so many of them seven in one group and they basically went completely against wwe's practices after being allegedly mistreated in the initial game show format of M- F- NXT. but you know big uh, big big match to fill for them they got the main event of summerslam in a seven on seven match and Scott, I have to ask you again, you know, despite what was said in the debating chamber, I just want to get your personal thought on this. Do you think the Nexus should have won that match?
1: It's, it's hard to, to look at because you look at the build of the story, obviously, they they build up so much that, you know, this was a big thing for WWE, that Team WWE needed to, to win, but you know, if they had a proper long-term plan, then yeah, you could have had a downer ending to one of your big reviews. As long as you had something bigger planned later on, uh, and so while it would have been kind of a, well, if they have a downer ending, more think about it. Yes, they should have won, and like, I think it's worth looking up way back at this clip from his tour with Inside the Roads where he talks about uh, that decision. Like he obviously didn't agree with it, and he said about how there was even up to a point where on the day they thought they were winning, and they'd been told that they were, and then. Like, oh, Cena, uh, Vince apparently said, Oh, I, I need a feel-good end to the show, so John's gonna, gonna go over at the end. And I don't think John was the one who personally went to events, he wasn't like a Hogan or Shawn Michaels back in the day, saying, like, oh, I need to go over, I need to stand till at the end. But mm. there has been people like Jericho and Edge who basically said to him, like, you know, if you actually go to events and say we should have the Nexus go over, then he'll listen to you. But Cena didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. And then so Cena by didn't orchestrate it, but by not helping it really inadvertently helped kill the Nexus. And inadvertently, mind. Because yeah. like, like Jericho even jokes about it when he and Edge were on a podcast he was talking about it. He said, Cena came back to the curtain. and he's like, okay, that wasn't the right decision. And like, yeah, you think we tried to tell you.
0: <laughs> yeah. But um despite that, Chris, um, at one point Cena is actually forced to join the Nexus after losing to Wade Barrett. And, you know, he does go along with it, especially, you know, with being threatened with termination if he doesn't. So it was, um, I mean, well, firstly, I'm sort of getting it in two parts here because, you know, he did wear the armband, but he still kept all his regular merch on, you know, the the Captain Fruity Pebbles t-shirts and multicolored hats and stuff. (laughs) But um, so do you think there could have been more that they would have done with it? and the second half of it is: do you think this was a missed opportunity to turn him heel again and really sort of embrace you know the whole nexus membership given that you know the nexus had t-shirts out hats merch even had wristbands out which scene obviously wears a lot of so
2: again i i let me let me preface by saying maybe vince was on the something at the time from a business standpoint, having Cena go over, having Team WWE go over, and not having a big bummer ending to your second or third biggest show of the year. I get that. But now that that's out of the way, of course, the Nexus should have won. It's is a big missed opportunity for every single member of the Nexus, right? I want to say... Only one of them really made it to main event status, one of them that one being Daniel O'Brien, but he wasn't even on Team Nexus at that pay-per-view. So like what the hell? Mm-hmm. Um and he was choking out Justin Roberts with the tie on Raw. That was a crazy visual. I'll never forget that. Uh, but what a what a missed opportunity not only to build the Nexus up, but like what you mentioned, David, the John Cena heel turn. Like it was or the the John Cena not being a good guy I don't want to call it a heel turn but they they half-assed it the, that entire storyline they half-assed it they, they were so hesitant to get John out of the yellow or purple, orange, whatever colored t-shirt he was wearing at the time they didn't want him to get out of it they had him wear the little wristband that would end up being covered or the armband that would be covered up by his t-shirt anyway they put him in Matches, he'd be the referee, and he'd still somehow screw over Wade Barrett with no real repercussions. Mm. Oh, he's fired, he's right back on Raw the next week. Oh my god, he's killing the next. Like, it's it's this yep. whole cool. I remember at the time watching it and thinking that John Cena was the coolest guy on the planet. And in hindsight, they really could have used that to build up those guys, you know, Heath Slater, Darren Young, shout out to Michael Tarver.
0: Oh uh, god and
2: and and those other uh, members of the Nexus Wade Barrett obviously had a career but there B um and Daniel Bryan and um uh what's it called uh Darren Young for a minute and some other dudes and Heath Slater of course yeah, but Slater and Gabriel, not all of yeah. them, right not all of them really crossed that threshold of the mid card or lower mid card and I think with this feud you could have done something different with them But damn, I just wish they didn't half ass it. If you redid that, if you just plucked that storyline and popped it in 2022, I think it goes drastically different. And they actually take some risks and they do some things differently. But that was over 10 years ago. And WWE looked different on paper and visually 10 years ago, over 10
0: years ago. So you can't really blame them. Uh, and you were everything you were saying about, you know, he gets fired after screwing Barrett out the title, but he still comes back anyway. It it was it was a very half assed attempt to, you know, Cena just me- essentially messing around with the Nexus and not really have any clear direction. And yep. as the the cold steel cherry on top, he gets he literally buries Wade Barrett under 23 chairs at the TLC pay-per-view that year. And that basically puts a, a full stop on that feud before he returns to the WWE title picture.
1: If we didn't have Cena taken out of the next individual, would we have the iconic CM Punk moment of, John, you spilled my diet soda?
0: Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> CM Punk on commentary, I actually forgot about that moment. Spilled his diet soda. Well, yeah, don't worry, okay. he would get re- he would get uh, revenge for that in the best way possible.
1: Uh, could people forget, he actually randomly joined commentary for the John Cena Wade Barrett match at TLC because he was on the wrong team. wasn't on the pay-per-view, and then randomly just comes out before the Cena match and basically says to Matt Baker, move, I'm taking this spot
0: now. (laughs) Yep. Now, he was in there for a couple of months before he actually joined the Nexus himself, which was quite quite funny, but this was after Cena had basically finished with them. But yeah, um, the build to WrestleMania 27, again, he's back in the WWE title picture, he's got a new opponent in the form of The Miz, but unfortunately, Scott, it gets overshadowed by a certain great one, like um, uh, because the right. rock was the rock was announced to be the host of WrestleMania that year, and essentially, you know it was it felt like Cena versus rock with a little bit of miz on the side um but then obviously, after that, Cena and the rock announced they're gonna face each other eventually. A year later in the main event of WrestleMania 28 like what was I mean I mean I know we're all about for building anticipation to matches and stuff and long-term booking but this is sort of ripping the piss a bit don't you think
1: <laughs> well, going back to the WrestleMania 27 thing like yeah like the rocks you know with the Miz in there like Miz is the salad that comes with the thing you're ordering and despite telling the way you don't want the side salad the side salad somehow comes anyway you he to just awkwardly move it to the side. That's what the Miz was, unfortunately, in this feud. I mean, they could have easily put Miz in with anybody else, and did, obviously, I don't think for The Rock to interfere in. But, I think the fact that right before Cena became known, The Rock comes back and immediately mentions Cena, and, yeah, the build is about A2, so, I think going into it, people were thinking that The Rock was going to be more involved, or maybe there are people who say at the time they thought he was going to be added to the match at WrestleMania, so... When it when it just ended up a straight one on one match with Cena and the Miz, obviously it's going to seem underwhelming. In regards to booking a year in advance, I don't think that's a bad idea because The Rock's not going to be a very. I haven't seen around him referencing all constantly. He's main eventing WrestleMania against The Rock, and this means that maybe just randomly tunes in back tunes back in to roll over the next year and they see Cena and you mentioned he's fighting The Rock next year at Mania they might stick around or even come back at WrestleMania. I think it was all about catching the the casuals. And for a main mm-hmm. event as big that, I think there were a lot of people who did want to see that because a few months before Rock came back, you had seen a comment on the Rock, you know, saying oh, he loves to do but whereas he? I'm here every week, I'm here at every show, to despite what people might say about me. So I think for a match that big, I don't I'm not against picking that a year in advance.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that, no, that's fair enough. And you're right. I think you make a good point, you know, that it's a way to capture the casual audience well in advance because that seems to be the thing, you know, with having some high-profile celebrity involvement. But then again, The Rock is a former seven-time, oh, eight-time, I should say, WWE champion. And it was almost like a clash of generations. We hadn't seen anything like it since Hogan Rock uh, 10 years prior at the, at the Sky Dome. So it was, <laughs> I think...
1: See this as a potential one-time match. That we're only going to get to see once and never again. Never, <laughs> which turned again. out to be
0: a massive lie. <laughs> but yeah, um, but Chris, I actually want to turn to you about this because even though this match was booked mm-hmm. uh, like a year in advance, it did have its flaws though because it didn't take into consideration the possibility of your WWE might make a new star within that same twelve months because I'm. You know many have said you know a lot can happen in a year and boy did it in the the summer of 2011 where we got the rise and the summer of cm punk and the of course the infamous pipe bomb promo which cena was actually uh a sort of key subject on and uh not quite like the rap battles from earlier on but i do have some quote from the pipe bomb uh specifically Punk said, I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am, and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. Like, this, uh, this sort of completely turned everything on its head, especially when you had so long to go for WrestleMania. Like, did do you think, like, obviously booking Cena and Rock so far in advance? Like, do you think they missed a trick about not considering, you know, they actually could make a new star within that time?
2: I guarantee the idea. Like, it, I I bet it sounded so easy on paper doing Rock Cena uh, with no interruptions. You know, you get the bell on Cena between now and then, whatever, and. Everything just seems fine. I think it's what they underestimated was actually CM Punk himself and the crowd and the fan reaction he would have. He was I I, I can guarantee when they when they thought to themselves, let's book this a year in advance, call him out. WrestleMania 28. We're gonna do this. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. And then A few months later, CM Punk does the pipe bomb and he gets the and then he wins the belt at Money in the Bank, you know? Like I I can't imagine them even thinking that was a possibility. But with that they underestimated CM Punk and the crowd reaction to CM Punk. Mm -hmm. How we as fans would receive him, this new iteration. And he was with, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, the new Nexus at the time. So he was busy yep. doing stuff. Like, they had him already doing stuff. But then they put in, he was in this program with Cena, and we just forgot about all of that. And it slowly disintegrated over time. Mm-hmm. But that, that the CM Punk of it all, shit, it even made Dwayne do something about it. They, they had Dwayne wrestle Punk. Uh, yep. um, at the beginning of the following year Like yep. it was so I, I guarantee It was so unpredictable To have somebody rise through the ranks like that To force their way into that program In some way shape or form But even now 10 years or o- over 10 years later You cannot underestimate CM Punk And little did we know We'd be getting another
0: summer of Punk 11 mm-hmm. years after the first one Yep, the new AEW World Champion. For uh, spoiler alert, if you've not seen Double or Nothing, uh, but yeah,
1: I, know, I knew the result. I didn't watch that match because it was already five AM UK time. I could see the sun coming up. I was like, I'm off.
0: <sighs> yep, and in UK summertime, you know, you can, you can see the sunrise at that time. So it's it's mental. But yeah, um, but yeah, this brings me to. Our, I will I will lay on this hill for the remainder of time. Money in the Bank 2011 against his match against Punk, Cena versus Punk, I consider that to be the best WWE match ever. Ooh. Like, Like, just for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, there was, not only was it a fantastic 40-minute-plus match, it was the first five-star match awarded to a WWE match since 1997, uh, the Hell in a Cell. And... It was the perfect mix of kayfabe and blurring the lines of reality. Scott, do you think that's a fair comparison? And if not, do you think this goes under the category of at least one of the best WWE matches ever?
1: regards to being the best WWE match full time, I respectfully disagree. Not to that's s- fine. Not, not to comment on the quality, it's always a matter of opinion. I say it's one of, one of the greatest, although it was... The best match of that probably of that era given that it was unlike anything we were seeing at the time but yeah it was, it's funny as chris mentions that you know, punk was with the new nexus because even then comes out well i think wearing and like up until then he'd been wearing his nexus shirt so he came out with his new shirt that time the graphic says cm punk and above it just says nexus and <laughs> there's no mention of that and yeah it was like it was a hell of a match with a lot of unpredictability about the outcome of it, and then you had that moment at the end with Punk leaving, and we knew what was going to happen because then they were teasing, all, we're going to fire John Cena." But like, yeah, but nobody actually believes Cena's going to get fired because he's got the event this thing with The Rock next year, and then they even had The Rock do a video on Cena, which Punk played during their contract scene.
0: Yep. Chris, uh, this match was in Chicago, obviously. There was a massive crowd reaction to it. Um, Probably one of the loudest I've heard since ECW One Night Stand in the Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, And I think Jerry Luller summed it up best on commentary. It's uh, CM Punk in that match was treated like a demigod. And the only comparison in terms of crowd response this had was that it was if the Chicago Bears were in the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl was being held in Chicago, like, do you think that's a pretty fair comparison of how that crowd reacted to that?
2: Oh, 100%. It's, it's still one of the loudest crowds that we've seen in WWE pay-per-view history. It was... The, the, the pay-per-view had one of... It was going to be one of two outcomes. One, CM Punk wins the All-State Arena absolutely loses its mind and we are all happy and cheerful that punk has the the title or they have seen a pin punk in chicago and the all-state arena is burned to the ground <laughs> so it was i think they made the correct decision and the story behind the match is absolutely incredible and punk when he's gotten the time to talk about it You know, signing a contract that day uh, to do the match and he, you know, the whole build to it, the whole nexus of it all, you would you would have no idea unless he um, unless you watch the the name, the name title or name card pop up on the screen Mm -hmm. that this fire burns of it all. This was still this fire burns punk, you know, and it was just a spectacle of a match. Now, David, to your point of the the you said the best WWE match? It's ever. my
0: personal favorite WWE match of all time.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean it's it's definitely in my uh yeah, I would put it at Yeah, I I can put it I would put it up there too. Um uh, both of them at the time, like this is maybe like peak peak punk in WWE alongside um cena who i shit i think cena got better over time oh, but it was still a like a spectacle of a match and it's probably the most wwe match if that makes any sense of all time mm-hmm. there is these, these two high profile guys in a very very loud hostile arena there's run-ins there's there's mcmahon trying to do the screw job thing again ring the bell ring the bell and cena's like no stop it stop it stop it um like lauren nice gets laid out and uh cena's like i'm gonna win this my way gets back into the ring gets he gets put to sleep and then chicago loses its freaking mind yeah but it's so overproduced and so overdone that i i think it's probably the most wwe match ever but damn is it good if, mm. if someone puts on that match you're gonna sit there and watch the entire damn thing like, yep. it's that entertaining and it's that good and it holds up to this day and yep. especially at the time where they weren't doing the, the the whole indie style that they would um that they would be influenced by over the remaining decade especially with all the in, independent talent that would soon take over the main roster mm-hmm. it was it was crazy as hell watching that match and to think that they would have another barn burner um in the beginning of 2012 on Raw, nonetheless. But that that Money in the Bank match, it's a staple of WWE history, and I think you can't tell the oral history of the company without mentioning that match. I, I think it changed the game for them.
0: Yeah, and it was right to do so because Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the Wrestling Observer Newsletter both awarded it the Feud of the Year and the Match of the Year for 2011. So, I mean, that's how big of a turning point it was and you know looking at all his championships and accomplishments cena has accomplished a hell of a lot you know for somebody who was you know considered you know the the white meat baby face superman character with all the different multicolored shirts i mean looking at these first 10 years he had feud of the year with cm punk in 2011 feud of the year in 2006 with edge uh feud of well nope sorry um most popular wrestler of the decade In 2000 to 2009, he was most popular wrestler of the year for 2004, 2005, 2011, 2012, and was ranked number one of the top 500 singles wrestlers in the PWI 500 for 2006, 2007, and then later on he would win it again in 2013. But we'll save that for another time. Uh, But in terms of you know matches of the years. He's delivered so many bangers, especially you know. I think that there been some have already been mentioned in the community chat and by us here today. He won another one in two thousand and seven for the match with Shawn Michaels on the UK Raw that went forty seven minutes, like a very, very big hidden gem when it comes to great matches and feuds. Now, I think Scott. Looking, yeah, sorry. I think looking at all of the accolades that you say, Rex, having it for years still,
1: like even going to. Into- like recent times there were still a lot of people who held a lot against him for past, you know, booking decisions around him, not things that he was directly in control of. I think someone like Cena really helps redefine what the phrase underrated can mean. Because people mm. we'll think underrated means that somebody who doesn't get opportunities and, you know, is better than people like probably give them credit for. But like but then again, like look at like he is great and like he's one of these tales and think like, how can he be underrated? Like, well he's underway because all of you mistake why he gets all the opportunities, not just because he's the corporate guy, but because he gets all these main events because, you know, to kind of paraphrase, uh, JBL, he is a big match. John, you know, he is one of the best in that big match situation, he's one of the guys who when the company gives him like the the title in the top position, he's the one who helps carry it better than anyone.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. And just sort of going into this last segment for his first sort of ten years or so. There was a brief stint where he had the Rise Above Hate moniker going. You know, again, he challenged for the WWE title against Alberto Del Rio a couple of times. He then teamed with The Rock funnily enough uh, to to defeat Awesome Truth at Survivor Series, a match that was dubbed Never Never Before, Never Again, which was pretty evident given, you know, they're both sort of semi-retired now. Uh, Scott, I'm really sorry but they embraced, the, they embraced the hate feud with Kane was horrendous. And I know Kane's your favourite and all that, but is it fair to say, you know, that this whole feud was just a waste of time and a bit of a filler just to sort of plug any missing gaps on the road to WrestleMania?
1: Oh, I accomplished several goals that made people think, what the fuck is that mask Kane's now wearing? But you've seen it something to do for a couple of pay-per-views, and it firmly allowed me to say, oh, you got your thing with Zack Greedo, now back down you go, Zack, down you go. Aye, put
0: him story. in the wheelchair and just chuck him off.
1: I fucking hated this story. <laughs> Honestly, Aye. Gene comes back. I tell do he's coming back with a mask on. And then I see the mask that he's wearing. but then he's wearing a weird welding mask above it. Like he's going to go work in his garage. And this <laughs> few, they have a random brawl. The, the rumble and then the ambulance match. And then the whole thing with Eve Torres and Zack Ryder, Which helps nobody in the end. And then... Yeah, the
0: Hoski... Yeah, he lost a broski for a hoski,
1: and then <laughs> there, he made a hoski music video like as part of his YouTube show. So okay, briefly, if you're a fan of that YouTube show, it briefly benefited that, but in the long run, killed his like running WWE. And you know, I think the whole point of it was see Cena might actually turn heel and he's up to the rock, which I think he should. If, he, if there was one particular time across the twenty odd years that he's been wrestling. One moment should have been in the feed with the Rock, right before Miami because they were doing it in the Rock's hometown. Because Cena has a weird habit of finding people in their hometown, which I've just noticed during this show. But he was going to get booed regardless in Miami, so you know he might as well just turn to then. Like the one sign they had that one moment on Raw where they were going to say, "Oh, look, Cena is getting angry now. Maybe he will finally turn." And it's just Cena doing an angry like Miz girl impression to the crowd, just. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> he just doesn't say anything in his interview with josh matthews he literally just stares stares a hole in the camera and, and you, you gave the best description you know he given his best angry miz girl impression
1: like oh cena's cena's getting angry Cena, cena's going off the deep end no it just looks like he's, he's having difficulty passing
0: a shite all right <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah just to sort of wrap things up here um, I want to get you guys' opinions on the match that was dubbed once-in-a-lifetime for the main event of WrestleMania 28. John Cena versus The Rock. Generations collide. You know, it's Captain Fruity Pebbles versus The Great One. And, you know, Chris, I'll start with you. What was your thoughts on the match itself?
2: I mean, to me, this was my first time watching The Rock wrestle. Um, Like, at the time, how old was I? What was this, 2012? 2012, so yeah. I was... Oh, God, I was 14 at the time, mm-hmm. and I was, it, I knew the, obviously, the legend that was The Rock in pro wrestling, and I was familiar with Dwayne Johnson's work, but, like, to me, at the time, like, this match was, like, everything I needed it to be, you know? This, the the once-in-a-lifetime, and at least I thought at the time this would, this would be the only one we'd get. And I thought it ruled, you know, again, this very highly produced angle and it's two of the best talkers and them legitimately having beef with each other. At least at the time, I didn't know that or we didn't know that or maybe we did. I don't know. But it was like a genuine like butting of the heads and especially with them talking about it after this whole angle happened, especially after the second one like there was like a genuine disdain for each other they they weren't they worked with each other for the sake of working with each other mm-hmm. and i thought this first one that we got was awesome to me it lived up to the hype and although it may not be john's best match ever damn it was something that i something that i will carry with me you know it's the rock and john cena the first and at the time only time we'd seen it and it was the clashing of generations and the rock going over just made sense and it was cool it was a it was a finisher overload but damn i thought it was awesome mm-hmm. and I, I i love it i think it's i think it's rad
0: it may not be yeah. the best
2: thing ever but it's, it's cool as hell
0: yeah definitely scott um obviously the finish of the match you know cena Showing a bit almost heelish tendencies a little bit, you know, stealing the, the people's elbow taunt. It looks like he's gonna go for a a people's elbow or five-knuckle shuffle at least, and then rock counters it with a rock bottom to get the win. And the last thing you see of Cena is he's just sitting on the ramp looking absolutely defeated. As if, like, you know, that was the biggest loss of his entire career. Do you think it was the biggest loss? And do you think his reaction was pretty much justified? After later, what we'd find out during is what was going on outside the ring.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was probably one of the biggest matches, if not the biggest match he had at that point, and then he he loses, and historically, like, he had the match won and chose to do the whole time, and that's what cost him, and he could see, like, disappointed himself for doing that, and I think they had a real opportunity to really make this, deep, let me call it, like the worst year I've seen his life, and yes, there were some things in his personal life, that. Like That would fit that, bit like, you look at he's booking, like, he, get, he wins at the next baby over someone he shouldn't have, and he gets to one bloody money in the bank. So, like, if he just kept them losing quite a bit and gave him some more big losses, he would have really fit into the storyline. But mm. the time I remember being so hyped for this match, I loved this match. And like, one of the better examples of someone coming back after years to like take kind of this kind of spot, and I think this really should have may have ended this, did what the Hogan match with The Rock should have done, it may have ended over the title because sometimes a certain match is bigger than the title, and if Punk Jericho went on after this, then the crowd really would have been dead. I mean, I'm sure you'll cover it in part two, but yeah, mm-hmm. you had the WWE title going on last and who should have been in it in the next May, that's a different story, but for this one, when we thought it was just going to be the one time, I agree with this being the main event.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're right, I, th- I agree as well. It was too big a match to not main event. Although booking it in advance, you know, I think you look back on it, it's a little bit, yeah, a little bit dis- divisive on it. But I suppose it was means to an end. And given how big a profile match it was, I think there was no way they say they couldn't do it any, any earlier or later, I should say. But yeah, that's going to do it for this feature show. This has been part one of John Cena's 20 years in WWE to be continued. So just to sort of reiterate um if you enjoyed today's show and are looking forward to the second half of john cena's career be sure to follow us on social media at facebook twitter and instagram at suplex retweet follow us on youtube join our community page uh eat sleep suplex retweet we're always posting new topics to discuss and obviously get involved wherever you can but yeah all that remains for me to say is uh, thank you to my panel thank you scott thank you very much and thank you chris
2: Man, it was, a, it was a pleasure. It was an honor. And that second part, man, you have a lot of goodies in that second
0: part mm. talking about Cena's nope. back half of his, of his career. Watch this space, okay? So be sure to subscribe and stay tuned as part two will be coming your way fairly soon. I've been David Hockney, and this has been the John Cena Career Profile, part one. See you next time.